Hello, friends. I know many people are concerned with the trajectory of our nation. In fact, this podcast today, we're going to talk about the future. Uh, Must the sun set on the West? Some of us feel like the sun is going down rapidly, and we're concerned about this darkness that's uh, increasingly coming upon the land. Is it inevitable that we're going to be walking around in the darkness? Or do we have a source for hope? We're going to talk about that in our podcast today. Of course, we are, as Christians, we're prisoners of hope. uh, And we're going to talk about where that hope is found and how instead of sinking off into deep darkness, we could actually be very excited about a, a resurrection of righteousness and light, even right here in our nation, the United States of America. So tune in today. There is hope around the corner. Welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We are so glad that you're here, and this is airing the Thursday right after we just got done celebrating uh, Independence Day and um, the birth of our nation, and I hope you all had a happy Fourth of July weekend. Uh, I think the topic today is especially uh, pertinent and providential. We're not sophisticated enough to plan all this out uh, and make it land exactly how it is, but I find it very interesting we're talking today about the future. Must the sun set on the West? Are we, are we living in the twilight hours of uh, Western civilization? And uh, I think that's a sobering question. Uh, one that we can pause today. And, and uh, this is always a podcast that promotes hope because it's rooted in faith and it's rooted in truth. And as long as we have faith and truth, we have hope. And um, But but nevertheless, uh, interesting times in which we're living in, uh, sobering times in which we're living in. And I think it's important that we're asking the right kind of questions. And that's a great question. So, Well, I think we'll just spoil alert. Must the sun set on the West? No, it doesn't have to be that way. I think that's so, the ending so of the keep story. Listening. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a podcast of doom and gloom. <laughs> right. Uh, but certainly, my goodness, before we even get into the book, uh, so much going on right now that causes uh, one to pause. You know, we, we just got done celebrating an entire month of uh, decadence. Well, we haven't celebrated, but (laughs) we're encouraged as a culture to celebrate. I saw uh, where there were parades taking place, of course, this uh, last week all over the nation. Uh, And parades that are highlighting behaviors that if you and I did them in public, we would be arrested for public indecency. And we're talking about it used to always just be decadent costumes and so forth, perverted but now, uh, you know, I saw some some clips up in Toronto where grown men are walking totally naked down the thoroughfares of of uh, Toronto with families with children, because these are, of course, promoted as family events. Watching, so I mean, think about this: you're you're having you're having young children watching grown men walk, walking down streets fully nude. Um, or other forms of new public nudity, and not to mention other forms of just total decadence, bondage, sadomasochism. I mean, just, just stuff that's from the pit of hell. And this is all mainstream and accepted now. So when we're talking about the twilight of the West, that's why we're asking these questions. It's right. like, how will America, or how can America, or any other nation, uh, recover uh, and return to a sense of uh, moral greatness and and prosperity and virtue and all of these things that are so missing everywhere we look today. 
Of course, in the news as well, uh, we would be remiss to, to point out that uh, even as we're, we're recording this, which we're a couple weeks ahead, it seems like the noose keeps getting tighter and tighter around our president's neck as, as it relates to the, the lies, the, uh, the corruption, all of the uh, uh, business deals with his son. I mean, some of this stuff is just so obvious now that you can't run from it. I mean, this last this last email that came out where basically his son is threatening whoever to come up with, to agree to the terms because literally his father is sitting next to him. This is while he's the vice president of the United States of America. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is treasonous. It's corruption. It's, it's, it's wicked at the highest level. And again, we're not even suggesting it's limited to uh, our current president. This is so deep. We're seeing the deep state stuff that's everywhere. And, and again, this is why we're saying how do we pull out of this? Um, right, when you have corruption at this highest level. And, and for me, that that's not the surprise. I, I mean, if anyone's been watching this administration, when I say this administration, I, ex I extend it all the way back when he was VP and beyond. Um, no one surprised us that, at this. Uh, I guess what has been surprised, not anymore, what has been eye-poning is lack of, it's, it's the cover-up by the, the feds and the yeah. other a legal institution which is supposed to be the check on these powers or including other congressional members who just kind of turn a blind eye because they probably got their hands in the cookie jar so this is the institutional corruption on, on such a deeper yeah. level the weaponization of all of these other agencies is what's scary and then and then we have completely lost any credibility that's involved in the media because I, I go all the way back. I was just, I was a child when, when uh, the Watergate broke and I still remember where I was. We, we were on vacation. We were in Alabama um, and uh, had, had a, uh, at my grandfather's uh, place. Um, and um, as a family, we were all pulled together and we were listening on the radio as President Nixon uh, confessed that he was stepping down and, and basically repented that what he had done was wrong. He, had, he knew it was wrong. And the media was there. Of course, part of it was exposing all of this. Yep. And then now we have literally everything handed to the media, clear evidence, and there's not even an investigation or even the asking of questions that should be asked. I think some of that's starting to change, but it's certainly not in the cause of truth. I think they're watching a sinking ship and they're watching a looming election coming up and realizing um, this is a failed project and they've got to figure out how to... It's called the CYA. I won't, I won't make the acronym, but it's called the CYA method in which you see, uh, at some point, I have to you know watch my behind because... Is getting bad. That's when they start covering it. Yes, yes, yes. There's yes. no pursuit of it. No, it's more they, like uh, unavoidable. And it's know? not a it's not a neutral. We're going to hold power accountable to truth. Um, all that's gone. It, it, we're we're clearly serving a, a party and um, and uh, clearly not doing their job. This has been happening. We, we we said journalism is dead. We we recognize that for a long time. But I guess I'm saying all of this like we're we're not trying to create this terrible picture. The picture is already there. We're not drawing it. We're just pointing out the the serious concern for uh, the health of our nation and 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 not to mention too the the whole financial time bomb that's ticking as we continue to throw money. Uh, 
and create money and print money that's that's literally looking like there is an agenda to destroy the dollar. Um, and I think there probably is. You know, we probably only know the, the, the surface. But anyway, we get back, I guess that's a great entry. <laughs> We're trying to highlight, folks, some of the obvious problems that we have as a, as a nation. Uh, and is the sun setting on the West? That's the question of this chapter. And the author uh, starts by quoting about Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and, the, and him being the youngest billionaire. And he alludes back to a movie that neither one of us have seen, but our producer <laughs> has seen. Uh, and uh, he said it was a good movie. And the, the point that he's making uh, in this movie, The Social Network, that came out probably over a decade ago now, uh, is that the university simply teaches skills. You know, all you're doing when you go off to college now uh, is you're getting a degree, and that degree has one goal. It's to help you make money or to be influential or to be successful or whatever, to teach you skills. Powerful. Yeah, Power. to make you powerful, famous, yeah. successful, and success has been purely dumbed down to mean, uh, you know, either fame or money. Uh, and so uh, the whole point was that character is missing uh, from the secular worldview. And so we saw that. And Matthew, as you were alluding to the movie, basically he does some things, steals some ideas, takes it to the ultimate end. And, and I guess the question is really, well, he didn't do anything wrong. He's just using the skill set that he learned, and he's using it to maximize it for his own benefit. And, of course, he's a billionaire now, so who could, who could question um, that what he did was wrong? Because, obviously, he's successful, and that's the goal of the Western you know, civilization now is just be successful, powerful, and wealthy. Well, it certainly worked. But then we get shocked when we find people who are successful, powerful, famous, at, and make it to the top, and they... <laughs> killed and lied and stealed and destroyed and climbed over, you know, compromised yeah. all the way to get there. And then we're shocked somehow when that happens. But that's that's what our universities are producing. Yeah, these these successful, powerful people becomes the models that young people want to emulate because of their power, but not because their moral courage, because uh, morality and courage. I mean, let me say it this way. They have their own set of moral. Their set of morals is that there is no morals. Right. That is a set of morals. But that's the people who we, in our culture, we try to emulate, we elevate. And, and that, that's what leads to kind of the chaos in our culture today. Well, it's been said tolerance, uh, or, which is the, the, the virtue, the only virtue of moral relativism. Tolerance is the last virtue of a culture that's dying. So you exchange tolerance for truth, you get rid of truth, and then the only thing you have left is the virtue of tolerance, which is no virtue at all. It basically says just do whatever you want to do or what you think is right for you. Um, and it is, a, it's, it is no virtue. It, it is, it is a, the last gasp of a dying tolerance culture. Tolerance is a basically a flimsy mask over the true virtue, which is power. Yeah. And because when it's tolerant, who really, if everything's equal, nothing's truly equal. Who's truly equal is those who have the microphone, those who have the sword, right. or the guns, uh, power, money. That's why these universities elevate, because they, they do promote tolerance, because there is no truth. That's why the thing that, what is defined by success is not courageous, they standing up for the truth. Success is defined by power. Right. Because that's what we're looking for, power. And right now, we see in our federal government today, it's all about, it's not about truth, not about justice, not about fair treatment. It's about power. Who's got, who's got the more represent, who's got the more power, who's got the, the guns, who's got the, the feds behind them. You look all around in our culture today, power is king. And that's a scary yeah. place to be. It's a barbarism. It right? is. And if you're watching this, this podcast, 
the message that was just preached on the Sunday before this podcast, we talk about that, that the government throughout history, the most, the most common form of government has been kings. It's the, yeah. it's power concentrated in one person. And, and we're going to, you know, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message because we're going to, we delved into that to a great degree. But, you know, you and I talked about this on this podcast before. One of the things that reformers did who were armed with the truth of God's word is when they went into a culture, and it doesn't matter what culture it is, they found things that were kingdom, beautiful, good, and they found other aspects of culture that were evil. Well, how do we determine what's good or evil? You have to have an objective, transcendent standard. You have to have truth. You have to have the scriptures. And so when William Carey goes to to India, he watches, he hears literally the screams of women who are being burned alive on the caskets of their dead husbands. And that was a Hindu uh, custom called sati, a widow burning, uh, where the the wife or the widow was was murdered along with her husband to be sent uh, into the next world so she could serve him. I mean, it was a, a wicked, evil, horrendous practice. And yet, while while he's at Harvard, he says that there was somebody there doing a, a doctoral student protesting William Carey's missionary efforts. And here's here's her question: Why couldn't this white Christian male? respect other people's beliefs and culture. I mean, this shows you the moral bankruptcy that we can't even agree that burning another person alive is evil, uh, that we should respect that culture simply because it's that culture and it's that culture's truth and it's that culture's practice. And who are we as a, as, who, who's William Carey in this situation as a white male missionary to impose his Christian values on this Hindu culture. Again, what incredible moral blindness that we, we no longer can even make a value judgment about something as evil as burning somebody alive. It just shows you how, how, how bankrupt we are. Or, or today, I'm looking at, you know, we talked about this grown men dressed as women, uh, grooming children, exposing them to all kinds of perverse sexual behavior, and we can't even find a consensus that this might be slightly a bubble off you know, like who in their right mind would do this or what parent in their right mind would expose children, uh, as we've seen this month, to public nudity and all kinds of uh, debauchery. Um, we cannot even have find a consensus on this because who are we to judge somebody else's behavior? And this is the legacy of tolerance. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is a sad state to be. And so he's talking about... Uh, well, uh, yeah. let me interject real quick. <clears throat> the reason that's happening is because the powers that be has endorsed those behaviors. And that's the reason why it's happening. It's not because, oh, we, we're tolerant of those. It's because we are really in the place of power. Uh, look through the veil of tolerance. Tolerance means nothing, okay? Because they're, they're so intolerant of this white Christian male, right? The person who's writing all that. So tolerance right. is not, not a true value. It's just, it's just a cover up. It's a smoke screen. Smoke screen, right. <clears throat> the truth is the powers that be, for whatever reason, probably destroy culture and destroy the foundation of infrastructure so there's chaos. Because in the chaos, the powerful becomes more powerful. That's just my my conspiracy <laughs> perspective. Yep. But but that's what the powers that be have endorsed it. Corporate people have endorsed it. People don't even want it, right? You think about like a Bud Light or Target and all these corporations doing – I mean all the pushback they do. Are they doing it because they increase their sales? No. There's some people who are powerful on top are pushing these agenda, pushing these messagings. Uh, and strong army. Strong army. You know, I, I was listening to William Federer, and he was talking about the strategy 
uh, of Muslims uh, as a minority. He says their goal is they get into a community as the victim and they come as refugees and they come uh, basically taking advantage of the goodwill of generally Christian cultures who 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 practice true tolerance. Yeah. Once the, so they come in, they're the minority. Then they get a foothold. Then they build. Uh, they they consciously go after uh, seeking to be involved in. in leadership positions of power, they grow their power base, then they want to um, bring in their laws and their customs, and as soon as they get to a place where they're in power, then tolerance goes out the window, and then dominance comes in. Yeah. Then it's a matter of we're forcing you to convert to Islam, or or you will be involved in servitude. You'll pay higher taxes, and, and we will mistreat you, and you, you, will be, you will be now the persecuted class that that they claim they once were, although they enjoyed the freedom to come in on the goodwill and true tolerance of those nations who uh, recognize their right to exist, right? So it's the same thing. Uh, it's the same thing with the with this current administration. It's the same thing with the with the agenda they're pushing in terms of sexuality. Um, we're the victims. Nobody likes us. Nobody accepts us. That's why we commit suicide. Poor us. We're, we if we would just be accepted, we could be healthy like everybody else. It's not true. When they're given power, then they take out the big club and they beat the daylights out of everybody else who doesn't share their views. They, they fine you, they, they take you to court, they attack businesses, they make everybody uh, jump on board, and it's not just tolerance, it's full-blown celebration. That's what we're witnessing this entire month. Uh, although I do think when it comes to messing with kids, now we're reaching a tipping point because most people are saying enough is enough. And I just read where analysts are saying uh, that Budweiser is looking at probably losing a quarter of their uh, profits uh, permanently, that they've lost a, a fourth of their business over this last debacle, which I'm, I'm grateful that people are finally using the one source of power that they have, right. the power to choose whether or not they're going to go to a certain store or buy a certain product. And I'm glad that, that they're doing that. And I think there's going to be more and more of that. The funny thing is, is we've talked more about Budweiser beer brand than everyone's podcast because of this issue. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a silent sense, I think, of rejoicing in my heart anyway. Like, finally, people are you are making choices. Oh, absolutely. Uh, same yeah. thing with the Target and, and all these other places. Yeah. Just basically taking their values and rubbing them in our face and saying, right. you will enjoy this and you will you it's will a power to the play. party. It's a power play. And absolutely. Want to test. As a bully... Who's gonna Who's gonna push you around? And what are you gonna do when you get pushed around? I mean, that's that's all what this is. It's just a bully. And, and when we don't stand up to the bully, and when we just kind of just like, ah, I'll give my lunch money, they're gonna keep taking your lunch money. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. So here, here's the point: what a culture celebrates really reveals a lot about that culture. And uh, and so what we're watching in the twilight of of the Western civilization right now, look at what people celebrate. Like I said, we just spent a whole month celebrating what Scripture continues to be uh, or con uh, considers to be debauchery and depravity. We've replaced goodness and truth. Uh, he uses this word that he coined. I like this: uh, the endarkment. <laughs> in other words, mm -hmm. not enlightenment. We're moving in the endarkment. We're we're moving towards greater and greater degrees of of light, uh, no light, with darkness. And he gives up the, this. Uh, he talks about this fish in the tank experiment, which I heard when I was in college. It's an amazing experiment. You put a fish in a in an aquarium. You separate the aquarium down the middle with a clear piece of glass. And, the, and on the other side of the glass, the the uh, experimenter drops in food. Uh, the fish is hungry. The fish starts going after the food, doesn't see the glass, boom, runs into the glass. 
This happens over and over and over again. The fish is conditioned <coughs> to feel like no matter what he does, he can't ever get to the food. And so the experimenter takes the glass separating the tank out and continues to reintroduce new food source. The fish has been so conditioned to feel like he has no option, no choice, that, that his behaviors have no consequence, yeah. that even though the food is right before him, eventually he, he will stop, uh, stop even trying to pursue. And, <coughs> and in the experiment, the fish actually died, even though there was food on the, uh, right there in the, in the tank, because he was conditioned to believe in a fatalistic world. And his argument is when you remove the soul of human beings, when you remove the spirit of man and the free will of a person, you condition them to be fatalistic. And that no matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter what their behaviors are, that it just doesn't make any difference. And you you end up with a Kurt Cobain kind of a world, um, a nihilistic world that says, "So what? Whatever. It does. It just doesn't matter." And this is this is what we're creating today. C.S. Lewis said, "We're creating men without chest." Uh, in other words, inside of that chest, there's no heart, there's no soul, there's no spirit. They're just hollow, zombie-like creatures. And life is very, very cheap in a culture like that. And, uh, and he's saying, basically, he introduced some of these, some of these theorists that I, I came across with my psychology degree. John Watson, B.F. Skinner, Beyond Freedom and Dignity. Um, we're determined by our chemistry and our environment. And so we have this horrible condition called secular fatalism that we're experiencing today, which is really the result of a faulty worldview which, which sees humans as simply products of their own biochemistry. In other words, you simply are your body and the chemicals that are in your body. There is nothing, there's no such thing as freedom. There's no such thing as, as um, uh, virtue. There's no such thing as good or true. Those, those are concepts that are, 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 are uh, mirages. They're the result of, of uh, chemicals in our brain. Uh, and basically we have an idea of these, but they're really not true. Yeah, we have, when you buy into the idea there's no true free will, in other words, you are simply a product of all your biochemistry, I mean, it leads to devastating consequences because someone can c commit the most heinous crime and you can just say, well, it's really not their choice. It's, it's yeah, it was your breakfast. The, 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 yeah, exactly. impacted your brain. It's your which genetics, you... it's your environment, it's the temperatures, the air pressure, it's all these different things. There's no personal responsibility. What kind of world does that create? Yeah. But, but and we see it, we've seen this, by the way, impact our legal system because now somebody can go out and will and like have a predetermined plan. Like here, here's my plan: I'm going to go in and shoot up, you know, uh, this public place and shoot all these kids or shoot all these people, whatever. And they have it written out. I mean, it is a predetermined plan. And then somebody on the other side will say, "Well, the person's mentally ill." Mentally ill just means their brain isn't working right. And if their brain's not working right, we can't hold them responsible for the atrocities that they just committed. So justice gets trampled in the streets in, a, in, a, in an environment like that. Because justice, what is justice? You can't hold anybody accountable because they're all a victim of their environment or of their chemistry. Right. So all, I mean, so all these very sophisticated, very complex arguments are symptoms of the core root discussion, which we should be having, which is 
are we simply biological beings? Is there not a soul? Is there not a a spirit within us, uh, a consciousness that can, that's be, that transcends biological? Are we just very very advanced AIs and computers? Yeah. Or are there is there a spirit, a soul within us that is has the free will to make those choices? That is supernatural. That yes. is not material. That is not chemical. That is supernatural. In other words, now we're saying, uh, is there a supernatural dimension to the universe and to hum- humanity? Yeah. Uh, and of course, evolution does not allow for, for that at all. And that's what we're trapped with. Now, I thought his argument, I, I thought this was brilliant. He said, abortion is sold as a choice, but in reality, it's fatalism because the child or the mother, it's argued, cannot have a good life without taking the baby's life. Mm-hmm. And so unless I take my child's life, I am fatalistically determined to a life of misery. It's a very fatalistic way of thinking. Instead of saying, no, there's so much good that can come out of this. This child is good. This child is is innocent. This child is not, this child is a product of my choices. Let me take responsibility for my choices and let me actually believe that good can come out of this instead of being fatalistically locked into a, a pessimistic view that says that only bad things are going to happen to my child and to me as a result of my choice. We, we forget the choice that was already made to conceive a child. Um, so I thought that was very interesting. But, he, but he's, again, talking about this secular fatalism. Uh, and he runs into a, a, a doctoral student at Cambridge who wasn't even a Christian, but he was reading Jonathan Edwards' uh, work on religious affections. Um, and basically, he's saying, you know, chemistry cannot explain the complexity of a human being. In other words, if a, if a person comes to a clinical psychologist and they're dealing with jealousy or anger or rage, what does that secular clinical psychologist who believes they're just nothing but biochemistry, like what do they have to offer that person? In other words, we're, we're, we're more complex than just a biochemical machine. Uh, we are not machines. Uh, we dream, we have desires, and he talks about forgiveness and making choices and the power of belief to change a person's destiny. What is belief? It's the, it is the belief that we can look at two different options, that we can take dominion over our emotions, that we can make choices that have real consequences, and that freedom and dignity actually exist as human beings. Uh, uh, and the, uh, the alternative to that worldview is what we're looking at right now, this fatalistic, depressed, power-centered, as you pointed out, world in which there is no absolute truth, and we're just victims of, uh, of our skin color, our pigment our environment, whatever it is. It, it, it's a depressing, uh, hopeless view. It's a victimized, victimizing yes. view yes. because when, when you are have a fatalistic perspective, I mean, first of all, you're just not very happy because you're, you, you're, you're suffering from all these causes that's beyond your control, right? Yeah. Whereas, whereas a victor's perspective is like, doesn't matter what's going on in my environment, doesn't matter everyone could be against me, I still can be victorious. And the Bible says we are, we are more than conquerors in yes. Christ Jesus. So the, the Bible is fundamentally a very positive, uh, a very victorious perspective, uh, very uh, driven, uh, what's this, take control, us give us drive give us control give us give us the uh, the will to do what is right and to and to grow whereas the fatalistic is very depressing so what happens is that out of depression comes a lot of victimization which we blame everyone else is always the culture's fault is this group's fault is that group's fault the no, group, for, yeah the identity yeah. politics which is so much yeah. a part of our culture now and you're exactly right so he, he gives he gives an example
example of something that happened, and I remember reading this story. It happened back in 1999. Um, a missionary uh, and his family ministering to the people, the the, the lowest caste of of uh, India, um, and uh, this husband and his two young boys were sleeping in their car, uh, and a uh, a radical Hindu mob surrounded the car and basically firebombed the car, and burned this missionary and his two young sons alive. Uh, it was a horrific, horrific thing, and what was more radical than that act of violence was this missionary wife's act of mercy and forgiveness. She went publicly on the news all across India and forgave those men that committed that atrocity against her husband and against her family. They, they, they literally wiped out her whole family. I mean, she is left alone now as a widow. Uh, the lady's name was Gladys Staines. She was an Australian <coughs> missionary. And what was radical is, again, her crazy act of mercy that went in the face of this fatalistic eye for eye, tooth for tooth, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, all, all the bloodshed that happens based on unforgiveness and vengeance and, and retribution, and so much so that the, the Indian government years later, I think about six years later, uh, rewarded her with the highest honor that any uh, citizen could achieve, receive in that cu culture. They were blown away by how she could forgive. Now, let's just talk about this in light of, of, of this chapter. How does a biochemical machine make a choice to forgive this horrific act of injustice that was brought against her? Like, how do you explain that from an evolutionary perspective? perspective? How do your genes do that? How, how does a chemical reactions in your brain produce a choice that goes completely against the survival of the fittest mentality? Like she's not acting like survival of the fittest. She's coming from a place of complete weakness and demonstrating crazy supernatural strength to, to offer forgiveness to her enemies. Like who does that? Right. And maybe this is a great way to wind up this chapter because we're talking about hope. Where do we find hope? to rise above the, the racism, to rise above all the Marxist uh, divisions, the CRT, um, the, the economic, yeah. you know, the, the identity politics, I, the, the lack of choosing to receive uh, any kind of uh, accountability for our behavior, the hopelessness, people trapped in despair, uh, the debauchery, the, the perversion, the I can do whatever I want to do, and who are you to tell me? You know, how, how do we rise above all of this? And, of course, he points to Jesus because Jesus uh, in his life, his, his life was the one Gladys was modeling her life after as a missionary. And we see Jesus Christ taking on mockery, abuse, uh, 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 persecution, torture, and being nailed to a cross and saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then resurrecting from the dead and providing a different way of life. Talk a little bit about that, because that's, that's really the direction that he goes to. And again, pointing to, back to the scriptures as a source of our hope. And while you're talking, I'm going to go to that passage in the book because there's some great, uh, great quotes about yeah. the scriptures and, and the word bringing life. Yeah, if you, if you are saying, hey, we are just simply biochemical machines, right? Um, there is not the concept of forgiveness, of 
sacrificing yourself or your family, your lives for other people. Like, there is, how do you explain the mechanism behind that? It's interesting because in all these sci-fi movies or stories about like eventually AI, you know, artificial intelligence, machines takes over, they follow natural consequence that if there's truly artificial intelligence and there's truly life that's made of just complex circuitry and these AIs are truly life, their natural consequences take over the world. They're not being generous. They're not being caring. They're not like, hey, you're humans. Let's <laughs> right. share with you. No, all these movies, The Matrix or whatever else, they always terminate. They always take over the world because that's the natural consequence of this school of thought. Well, if we're just complex machines, just like these computers, then we should be at war all the time. We should be, there, there is no friendship. There's no allegiance. Right. So loyalty is only for means to manipulate so that I can survive. There's no true sense of self-sacrifice. No. But even in today, even in Hollywood today, even in, in higher ed today, because of the foundation of Christian thought, there's still a remnant that people honor self-sacrifice yep. for the greater good. Yep. There's still that remnant that they celebrate. But it doesn't make sense based on their worldview. No. They can't explain it. it. It's, 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 it's a conflict that no one can really bring ahead to, to explain, to, to really conclude. I mean, there are some thoughts of, well, I need to be self-sacrifice because I need to uh, create a, a greater culture, larger culture, so that so that so that uh, my right. village can be saved, so that you know, right. blah blah blah. But how does that affect the large, like in this case, right? It it, it doesn't it doesn't yeah. mean anything, right? And and he brings up a really good point he, he, about the resurrection. It was the resurrection. Jesus predicted his own death and predicted his resurrection, and then he did it. That's what gave the disciples the courage to lay their lives down because they realized they no longer needed to fear death. And we live in a culture today, this world is all that we have. People go to great lengths to try to extend their life a few more years, right? All the cryogenics and freezing their bodies and hope that there'll be a cure and all these things that we do just to hold on to this very short life that we have. Whereas Jesus demonstrated through the resurrection that there is eternal life, that that there is a, a soul, that there is a you that's going to go on after death, that there's a part of you that is eternal. And he answers the question that we are not just simply biochemical machines, that there is a soul in the breast of every human being that was made to live forever, and that eternity is real, and therefore justice is real, therefore our choices are real, therefore we are going to be accountable to the great judge. And this was a game changer for Western civilization. It gave us the courage to do what was right to live in the face of injustice, to realize that there's an eternity ahead and that God's going to expose all the injustice and that forgiveness now makes sense. Yeah. Um, and prior to that, I mean, it's, it, it is, it is uh, as, as Darwin said, basically survival of the fittest, it, it, is, it is blood, it is, it is uh, dominating, it's the, the stronger species dominates the weaker species, you know, um, and, and it was a very, it, it was the justification for most of the slaughtering that took, has taken place in, in, not, in uh, communist regimes. Well, I think you made a good point, is the resurrection nullifies this biochemical idea. The resurrection says it's not about survival of the fittest. The resurrection says it's something that transcends survival of the fittest, uh, not just for me, but for my family, not just for my village. Everything, trans survival of the fittest is transcended once Jesus resurrected. So I, in many ways, Easter really is, I know we're past Easter now, but Easter really is the, the, the hallmark point for Western Civ. 
it transcends, it, it changed our complete understanding of this barbarism, power is, power is might, and, uh, uh, might is right idea. The resurrection negates all of that, says yeah. there's something that transcends all of that. Yeah. And these ideas, of course, came from a book, and that book is the Bible. And, um, and once people read the Bible for themselves, as we've talked about in, a, in previous podcasts, it gave them an understanding. So literacy was big because we understood that God's desire was for people to be free. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Where do we know the truth? We receive the truth from a book, from the scriptures. And it's the, it's the ideas contained in the word of God that set people free. It was uh, George Whitfield, as he points out that in, the, in these uh, Second Great Awakening, George Whitfield that was the first European to preach the gospel to black slaves. Uh, and once those slaves heard the good news of the gospel, it put within them a, a fiery passion to be literate, to, yeah. to read, to be able to read the Bible for themselves. Uh, same thing with uh, Native American uh, Indians. Um, it was the gospel and the desire for freedom that gave them the passion to learn and to read. Uh, and just to wrap this podcast up, what is the hope of, a, of an America that's living in, a, in the twilight? Are we going to see a resurrection of the sun bringing light, or are we going to see the twilight that descends into great darkness and despair and depravity? The, I think his point is the hope is in Jesus Christ. The hope is in the gospel. The hope is in a return to the truths that have made us uh, an exceptional nation, a blessed nation, the most blessed nation and most free nation in the history of the world. And I think it's fitting that on uh, the twilight of a, 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 a Independence Day that was just celebrated, that we say, may America turn back to the Lord. May we humble ourselves. May we get back to the ideas that made ourselves and this nation great. And may we ask the Lord for the son of righteousness to shine on us once again as a nation. That is the hope for a, a culture that is um, dying. Uh, and that is the hope that we offer to all of you today. Let's be people of the book. Let's get back into the scriptures. Let's let's communicate these truths far and wide. Let's not be ashamed. Let's not let people silence us somehow that they have the, the moral high ground. No, 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 no. Jesus is the highest moral high ground. Uh, let's not be ashamed of our worldview. Let's offer hope to people. Let's speak the truth in love. We can see the sun rise again. We do not have to also fall into this despair that somehow things are getting worse and worse and worse and there's no hope for America and the Antichrist is arising and all we have, you know, let's not fall into that kind of fatalistic uh, pessimism exactly. either. Um, As we articulate, fatalism is not of the Bible. No. The Bible is fundamentally is a victorious book and Amen. we're a victorious people. We are prisoners of hope yeah. and that's what we offer you today. So let's be a part of a third great awakening. That's yeah, what we're praying for, working for. That's what I, I would love to see. I'm laboring for that in my lifetime that I would be able to be a part of a third great awakening that would hit America and go around the nations of the world. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for freedom. Thank you for the this holiday we just celebrated of American freedom and all the, the blessings that Jesus and the gospel have brought to the nations of the world when America has been right. And so, Lord, bring us back to a place of rightness again. Forgive us for our sins. Break this demonic spell off of our nation. Lord, may we return to you. May we see an incredible a repentance and awakening, a third great awakening come to America. Lord, let the, the darkness that's coming upon us be driven away by the light of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being with us today. Uh, share this podcast far and wide. Please like it and uh, and help us uh, with our get, getting the message out on a, on a wider and wider scale uh, as we continue to share this truth. If you found it to be helpful, share it with others. All right. Thanks so much. We'll see you again next Thursday.